Welcome to GovCast, connecting with federal IT's top decision makers. I'm Alexander Bolova, production lead at GovCIO Media and Research. With me today is staff writer researcher, Nikki Henderson. Hi, Nikki. Hi there, Alex. You had the opportunity to chat with David Larimore, the chief technology officer at DHS. How'd it go? It went well. Uh, He had lots to say about a lot of the tech initiatives and the modernization initiatives that are underway at DHS and also talked a lot about the chief technology officer role that has been getting a lot of attention there at DHS. So we had a really good conversation. Great. And I know that David has been working on creating a chief technology officer council. How did he say that will change the structure around the CTO role at DHS? Well, he's really, really just giving a lot of time and energy into the chief technology officer council. He gave me an interesting fact. He's a part of the federal chief technology officer council. So he said he's one of three. And he said that kind of motivated him to really take a close look at this role and see what he could do to restructure it. He said he wanted that role, the CTO role, to be more grounded in their federal IT management structure. And so he's trying to use the proper tools and authorities to make that happen. He wants to try to give them as much power as he can and give them the ability, you know, to whatever technology, whatever it is, what technology the focus is, he wants them to be in control of that. And so he actually has a directorate. In the directorate, there are working groups, and those working groups are centered just on clouds like AI and cloud. And he's just trying to put that CTO council in a direction where they just have their priorities lined up and he just wants them to really develop like metrics and standards, especially in cloud adoption, he said. He said also in DevOps and cloud migration. So he just wants to give them more power and just have a more structured role there. Gotcha. Did David highlight any IT modernization initiatives underway to help DHS better manage and access their data? Yes, David did mention several, but one of the main ones, our top ones he mentioned was Cloud Smart. It's helping DHS become a more agile department. Um, David said they're trying to attain a, a maturity model that they all can agree on. And um, he said it's important that they have different components that they can identify their objectives and objectives. I mean, like maturity objectives. So he said the outcomes will be less about the number of systems, let's say in the data center or in the cloud. He said, it's going to be about more about what are the maturity concepts that each component can start to leverage. So for example, he said, do you have the ability to provide your cloud customers full transparency and traceability on their spending. So he said the goal is to have people feel empowered so they can make decisions. And he said that's huge to modernizing your IT environment and getting it moving at a fast pace. Right. What did David say were some of the IT strategic goals that DHS is trying to accomplish for 2023? Well, David said that 
one of the top goals that he's looking at and DHS as an overall is the workforce. And he said the people power when it comes to IT. He said that's just really huge right now. And they're focusing their efforts on recruiting through new channels. He said DHS is also leveraging the Cyber Talent Management System, or CTMS, which is another mechanism to hire and retain staff. And so they're doing a lot of outreach to underrepresented communities to kind of build a more diverse and equitable workplace. He also said that DHS is also very much focused on cybersecurity. He said they're continuing to invest in the Hack DHS program. And this program is where they have vetted cybersecurity researchers and ethical hackers who are invited in to identify potential cybersecurity vulnerabilities and so in those external uh, DHS systems. So he said they're looking at also looking at the effects of uh, supply chain risk management. So they've got a lot in the works there and a lot they're trying to accomplish this year. Well, with all of that in mind, let's take a listen to your interview. Well, I appreciate you taking out time uh, from your busy schedule to speak with me today about IT modernization initiatives underway at the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Before we get started, David, do you mind telling me a little bit about your time at USDA, GSA, and even your time in industry and how your career path led you to the chief technology officer role at DHS? You know, it's it's interesting when people ask you this question uh, because everybody assumes you know you got your 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 MBA or went to somewhere technical. I had an art major, like like literally an art major. I was doing uh, glass blowing and art in the dark and three D. Um, when I went to college, Salisbury University, um, I originally started out doing uh, computer science, right? And uh, what I was what I was really interested in, and it, it wasn't uh, creating dot, you know, wasn't creating, you know, C++ applications, you know, counting the number of pieces of popcorn in a box. It was always about the World Wide Web. And back in the day, in, in the early thousands, not every college had a program for the internet. So uh, my parents were both artists and I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to see if I can't make both work. So I talked to my advisor and said, hey, I'm really interested in the internet. And they're like, well, why don't you be a graphic designer? Because we've kind of got classes and things about, you know, designing uh, corporate design. Right. So I was essentially a visual communications major in college. And when I graduated from Salisbury, I had no idea what I was going to do. And I got a random phone call from uh, this place called the Kennedy Krieger Institute in Baltimore, Maryland. And they were just like, hey, we need someone to like help fix up computers. I'm like, man, uh, this isn't really what I want to do, but maybe. And and I used to like get audiology testing at the and then for the for the folks on the phone here, I'm just showing my hearing aids. Um, but I would get audiology testing at the Kennedy Krieger Institute. So I went there and, and had a great time, had a good week there. Though, and then they offered me a job at working a help desk. I had no idea where I would end up in a few years. And I'm incredibly um, proud. I feel incredibly lucky. I'm honored. It's been a phenomenal journey uh, going from help desk to database administration to doing software development. 
um, you know, uh, starting a family and that kind of encouraging me to do job change coming down to DC, where I was a contractor for uh, Department of Homeland Security, and then um, getting flipped to be a Fed, uh, working for someone that turned out to be a, a, a friend of a friend of a friend's dad, and then uh, him becoming kind of a mentor over the years and encouraging me to look at the cloud, which is why I went to the Department of Agriculture, because um, they were starting to do enterprise cloud. So I learned about uh, the acquisition side of things. I learned about uh, FedRAMP and how to create uh, clouds in a federated environment. And then I had my opportunity to be the, the CTO over at ICE because I was a uh, a silly, goofy guy willing to wear a, a cape and a costume at meetings, and which I did, and you know, so it was a change agent. And it, but it, it all come back to just wanting to be a goofy kid and have fun. And I love the internet. And I love technology. Um, you know, after ICE, I went to do industry for two and a half years. There was, uh, there was some impetus in my personal life related to health and, um, you know, never really feeling like I had an opportunity to work for an actual software company. Um, so um, I had the wonderful pleasure of kind of doing solution engineering for two and a half years, which is a, a combination of sales, a combination of, you know, uh, customer support and customer experience, a combination of, of the technical engineering side of things. And then the perfect storm happened. And that is um, uh, a position opened up to be the DHS CTO, a position I had applied to several times and been rejected from several times. But apparently this one, the, the one most recent time, uh, I made it through whatever uh, gauntlet my my resume and ECQs had to make it through, got it to the interview and, and um, the rest is history. Wow, David, I never would have guessed. Um, <laughs> that was a very interesting. Uh, right. Very interesting story. I mean, I, your journey um, to where you are now, I mean, that was great. Thank you so much for sharing. Well, David, can you talk about your plan to create a chief technology officer council and how it will change the structure around the CTO role at DHS? And how would the CTO council help improve the agency's overall IT strategy? Love it. Absolutely. Okay. So, First and foremost, and I, I said this before, so everybody should probably know this, especially if you've heard my name and hearing about CTO. Like we don't have, there's no CTO law. There's no, there's no data act for CTOs. There's no FATARA for CTOs. Um, we are a inconsistently implemented role across the federal government, and our authorities are essentially siphoned from the CIO. And occasionally, there's an administrator or commissioner that that sees the value. And it uh, chief technology officer sounds a lot nicer than chief nerd or chief nerd in charge or, uh, uh, you know, sometimes technologist is, is what we're called, chief technologist, digital strategist, you know, whatever else. Um, but it's, it's inconsistent. And so I've been in two different organizations as a CTO. I've seen CTOs in four different organizations and every single one inconsistent, different roles and responsibilities. I've, I've seen organizations where it's more of a, a chief science or chief scientist role where they're looking at, you know, 5G and, you know, artificial intelligence. I've, I've been in roles where uh, they are in charge of governance and just determining what technology uh, an organization use. I've, I've been in other organizations where they're essentially the, the fixer, if anybody's ever 
you know, uh, Mr. Wolf was, was the name from uh, um, Pulp Fiction as a character there. But like you go in and you fix problems, right? Like like you have an issue, you send in Mr. Wolf, you send in Mr. CTL, right? And he goes and, and he figures it out. And, it, um, you know, and, and luckily the digital service came around and kind of they've, they've taken over that role now. Uh, but it's inconsistent. And as someone who's always wanted to be a CTO, uh, well, okay, not always want to be a CTO, but like that's where my career led. And I think about five, six years ago is when I was like, yeah, 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 CTO, CTO. But but as someone who is, has continued to be a CTO and wants to um, see that role start being more formally grounded in our federal IT management structure, I have to use what tools I have, what authorities I have, what ideas I have to help make that happen. So I'm involved in the federal CTO council, right? So I, I uh, there are three chairs there. I'm, I'm one of the chairs, uh, along with uh, Dr. Barbara Jackson and uh, uh, Chris from uh, DOD, Chris Brazier from DOD. And uh, so I'm working that angle. And then we have the DHS CTO Council. So I inherited that. That, that, that existed before I came on board. There has been no signed charter, which is, you know, never stopped anybody from doing anything. Um, but the, the group was loosely tied together because uh, a prior CTO had found as many people as they could with the name CTO in their title. And um, unfortunately, when that person left, a lot of times, you know, that component of DHS did not have a representative on the council. Now, again, going back into the authority side of things, like I, I really... You know, my authority as a CTO, again, comes from Eric Heisen, the CIO. There was a, 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 a delegation signed years and years and years ago, even before both of us were, were up at headquarters, both in management, that kind of defined what does the CTO mean for headquarters. So so at, at DHS, I actually have uh, authority and responsibilities that have been delegated to me from the CIO. But that I'm it. Like when you go to the components... And it changes. It's interesting to see a change over the years. Like I'm starting to see where components did have their CTO living outside of the CIO organization, starting to go to the CIO organization. Uh, you've seen the similar things with chief data officers, right? So uh, when the chief data officer came around, it was basically, you know, hey, CIO, keep create a chief data officer role. And then, and then uh, you know, uh, an act would come out, you know, the, the, the data act and the people are like, okay, well, it's a really important role. Let's take you out of the, the CIO's organization. And then you're starting to see it slowly go back to the CDOs going back into the, the IT organization. And the same thing exists on the CTO side. Um, so because of that, I, I had to, if I wanted to do anything, I had to structure it in a way to where I could recognize the individuals in each of the organizations across our federated department that fill that role. And sometimes it's a chief architect. Sometimes it's a it's a, a digital strategist, right? But it is it is the person that gets the most consistent uh, responsibilities in all the components. And um, they would meet and they would uh, talk and discuss uh, their technologies and some of the issues they had. But it, it tended to be a, a a one-way conversation, right? It was management telling all of the CTOs what is happening. And then sometimes the CTOs uh, feeling confident or brazen or annoyed enough to be able to speak back about, you know, how their annoyed headquarters are doing certain things or not communicating, not collaborating. So what I would like to do is, and what I am doing, and what our kind of CTO council is getting restructured to do, and what uh, the, the draft charter I sent out this week is designed to do, is to 
to give them as much power as I can and give them the ability to start being in control of as many things uh, in a technology perspective in the department as they can. So inside of my directorate in management, I have a series of uh, IPTs, working groups, centers of uh, excellent communities of interest, et cetera, et cetera, on, on a myriad of topics from uh, AI, ML, to robotic process automation, to agile, to cloud, uh, you know, and, and, and all of, all of, you know, everything else out there, right? And um, I said, well, you know what? They may be my groups, but it's really groups for the department. So let's put the CTO council and let's let all of the CTOs kind of share in the direction of where these, these groups go and what their priorities are and what they're working on. So what we are doing is we are identifying all of the in-scope working groups, all of the in-scope COIs, and we're saying, okay, can can a CTO raise their hand, right? And can you say that you are going to be the chair on this working group? Yeah, it's 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 my you know admin staff and and you know it's, it's we're using my emails to, to to get communication along, but but ultimately it's the CTO council. It is the department and the combined wisdom of all of these technologists from across the components that are essentially helping to decide that these working groups who are supposed to be serving the broader DHS community. Uh, are going to be working on it. So that's that's the first piece. Uh, the second piece is we are going to start working on actually developing the uh, the metrics and standards in, in some key areas, right? So uh, when we talk about cloud adoption, cloud, agile, and DevOps have been a, a rather consistent uh, set of responsibilities for CTOs. So we are going to develop our CTO council kind of uh, cloud migration and cloud smart goals, right? So the amount of automation we do, you know, uh, amount of open source right across the board, you know, for those three areas, what are we going to commit to? And we're going to track it at the CTO council level, right? I want to have that CTO council be as empowered as um, practical uh, and as real as I can, right? So that's that's the idea behind it. That's what I'm working towards. How much of that will I actually achieve? Well, you know, it's, it's to be said. I, I know what I can do. I know what um, my peers in the department want. I know what the CTOs uh, is keeping them up at night. And I'm trying to align as many of those things as possible and to create a community that will long last me. Wow, thank you, David, for breaking that down. I mean, I, I really appreciate you laying out those goals and it sounds like um, that you're doing very well with this. And I would love to check back to see what progress the uh, CTO Council uh, makes down the road. Well, David, are there any IT modernization efforts currently underway to help DHS better manage and access data? Absolutely. Ooh, let's let's go with uh, Cloud Smart, right? So, for those of you who are aware, you had um, you know Cloud First uh, as a priority that came out, and then you know there's Cloud Smart and DCOI, and DHS has made incredible, incredible movement towards getting out of the physical data centers with, you know, uh, shutting down uh, DC2. And, you know, uh, now we are leveraging kind of a, a DCAP architecture on, on the various coasts. Um, and that really makes us a much more 
agile from a networking uh, perspective uh, department, right? And and really letting the components as much as possible be in charge of their their destinies and enable them to be able to move the cloud. Um, what we are trying to do is we are trying to have each component identify their maturity. We are trying to have a maturity model that uh, we all have a consensus on and can agree to, and then have each component uh, define what their their objectives are with that maturity. So the outcomes of this is going to be less about you know the number of systems and a physical data center and the number of systems in the cloud. It's really going to be more about what are those maturity. Uh, concepts that each component is starting to leverage, right? So do you have the ability to dynamically uh, provision and deprovision resources inside of the cloud, right? Do you have the ability to see a single pane of glass uh, when it comes to all of your uh, resources that are in the cloud? Do you have the ability to provide the customers of your cloud full transparency and traceability on their spending, right? These are all really important concepts to empower folks, right? So when it comes to the cloud, you have the ability to make change rapidly, but if you don't have that data at your fingertips, if you don't understand how your cloud is performing, how the resources are performing, have you implemented the, the correct mix of cloud services to optimize either the, uh, the, the speed or robustness of the services that you're providing to your customers, Ultimately, you're going to you're going to have a traditional data center living virtually in the cloud. So we don't want that. Uh, we want people to be able to be empowered to make those decisions. Right. And that's that is huge when it comes to modernizing uh, your entire IT environment, because it all depends upon the ability to move fast. If you can't be good with your cloud implementation, how are you going to do agile? Right. When you have a, an agile project where you're supposed to have iterative deliverables, you are not going to be able to get the resources in place to have a sprint or to be able to uh, iteratively release things to production. We talk about set DevOps, right? So how are you going to be able to have a touchless deployment if you don't have the ability to understand what is getting deployed and have access to the APIs to be able to do it, right? So having that strong, foundational, mature cloud is really a key for any organization to mature. And it's something that we are heavily focusing on. Uh, the one other piece that I'm going to end, uh, uh, kind of finish off the question is talking about, you know, we have, I think I think the latest request was, was, was $9 billion for, for IT spend uh, for, for the upcoming uh, fiscal year. Like we have dozens and dozens of cloud deployments across DHS. Components based upon their program will have multiple cloud infrastructures, multiple cloud teams, multiple DevOps pipelines, et cetera. So a lot of what I am trying to do, a lot of what uh, each of the CIOs across the components are trying to do is, is come up with an enterprise capability. And that, that doesn't mean that we're going to have one cloud to rule them all. We're going to have as many clouds as we need to have in order to support the mission. But we are starting to, to really figure out, well, what does it mean to have an enterprise service? What does it mean to be able to not just bring up a uh, a resource or an instance of a server, a virtual you know, server in the cloud? What does it mean to bring up a, a program up? rapidly, right? What are those core basic services that each 
component needs to offer. And there's no way that we could just have dozens of different clouds and be able to have each one at a maximum level of maturity. Right. That makes sense. And I really, um, you're talking about, you're passionate when you talk about, you know, empowering people, you know, to make decisions and giving them the ability they need, especially, you know, to move quickly to get things moving at a rapid pace. So thank you for that. How is the Technology Modernization Fund assisting cloud modernization efforts at DHS? All right, so we have several initiatives um, that uh, where we have leveraged uh, the TMF funds. We have our Southwest Border Technology Integration. Um, you know, the idea the idea there was you know to mitigate the emerging uh, issues at the Southwest Border, provide more efficient, effective, and humane processing of immigrants. Um, so you know, we have uh, submitted the FPP for that in May, uh, and at the end of the last month, the TMF board announced that our request for the funding was approved. So like that's incredible. That's a that's a big boon for DHS. We've got our uh, contactless traveler uh, processing. Uh, project, right? So to provide real time, uh, like unequivocal verification of traveler identity, you know, facilitating international travel for almost everyone, you know, providing contactless, uh, that contactless experience, right? Like, you know, we're, we're working on that project through TMF. And then last but not least, we've got our DHS information sharing uh, program, right? So it's all about um, implementing an integrated and scalable uh, information sharing solution, you know, to secure uh, mobile collaboration throughout DHS uh, for, you know, uh, incident response, law enforcement, medical emergencies, fire services, immigration, um, you know, across, you know, various geographic and jurisdictional boundaries. Okay, great. Well, what did you learn during your time as CTO of ICE? And and how does that impact your vision and strategic plan as CTO for DHS? Uh, well, I, I can always say, you know, the, the funny thing, and that is, you know, don't be afraid to be yourself. Uh, I remember very vividly walking into several all hands wearing a Jedi outfit and it worked. And it worked because I recognize and realize early on that organizational change is just as important as technology change. So when I came on board at ICE, uh, uh, Mike Brown, CIO, um, Beth Capello was deputy CIO. She's now the uh, deputy CIO at the department. You know, we really wanted to make the CIO's office at ICE a factory, right? Like, you know, the uh, the Phoenix project had come out and Dan Kim was, was um, you know, uh, reverberating through everybody's hearts when it came to Agile and the Agile Manifesto, right? And so, you know, we wanted to get on board with that, right? And so what I did, which was more important than any technology decision, that was um, I had an organizational change management uh, program, right? It was it was a campaign. It was called Ice Wars. It was, you know, I wore Jedi outfits and we did posters and we um, we themed everything around that. You know, it, the idea was if we can figure out who was interested in this program and interested in modernizing and interested in adopting, you know, agile cloud and sec DevOps, you know, we would ultimately be able to have a grassroots approach to changing the organization. And so that's what we did, right? So um, from a cloud perspective, we identified who the 
you know, who the, the, the pro which programs were the most forward leaning. We identified the people that were the most uh, interested uh, in about learning and who had experimented with it the most. And, and we, we brought them together. Um, we, we made a commitment around creating an enterprise cloud. So we said we're, we're no longer going to be going to the cloud every time we need a new um, a new program to go live. We basically said we're going to put together a uh, contracting uh, solution. We we're going to put together a, a program in which we would be able to scale just as fast and just as rapidly as the cloud. We had uh, all of the automation type of things, you know, the sec DevOps stuff. We, we didn't create a one tool chain to rule them all. But we basically said, here are all the tools that we need to create a pipeline. And then we actually worked with every single development team. There's like 23 development teams at the time to basically get them on board, right? So we didn't we didn't necessarily care as much that you had a a fully baked pipeline. We care that you were maturing, right? Every month we would go out and say, hey, what, what new technologies are you using? What new tools are you using? Like, what are the gaps that are not available in the environment you have now? And we would work with the uh, the CISO's office to understand, like, you know, what are the things from a compliance perspective that we can implement to um, reduce the burden to the ISOs, reduce the burden to the development team so they would be able to get as close to a, a click button deployment as possible. Um, and then we we attached Agile through coaching, a lot of coaching. Um, some of it was forced coaching. Some people needed more coaching than they thought they did. And so we had uh, communities of interest. Um, we would do shadowing. Uh, we would actually, from a management perspective, we would start to identify uh, Agile as a skill. And we trained everybody. We literally did, uh, we did some train the trainer. Uh, we sent people out to get certifications. We literally trained everybody from the project managers to the ISOs, to the senior leaders in the organization, the division directors, the branch chief, the QA group, uh, the, the business management team, the cores, like every single one of them, we sent them or had them involved in some group training, learning about agile, learning about iterative software development and figuring out how to apply those principles in their everyday job, let alone to a software development project. Because we knew that if you fundamentally or or from a philosophy philosophical perspective understood what does uh, incremental delivery mean even if you are not an IT project manager you being in the, the periphery of this this big machine that is delivering IT services for our customers you would ultimately be able to find ways to help with that and deliver that and it worked Oh, wow. That's amazing. Thank you for emphasizing the importance of group training and also for highlighting how important organizational change can be, you know, rather than just technology, because most people think, oh, technology, you know, but organizational change is just as important as those changes in technology. So thank you for highlighting that. Well, David, DHS was one of the first adopters of Zero Trust. So can you discuss how you work together with the CIO and the CISO to deploy IT architectures compatible with the zero trust approach to cybersecurity? You know, I, I hate I hate saying it was easy. I hate saying that uh, a lot of the work was done uh, before I came on the board, so I won't, but I want everybody listening to this to kind of have that in the back of their mind as I'm starting to say the rest of this. Um, the reality is whether or not anybody has seen the pattern Every every OMB guidance that have come out, like every law, all of these requirements with FISMA and everything else has been leading us down this path, right? So when you think about 
EIS, right? Um, EIS, uh, enterprise uh, infrastructure services, the, the gigantic GSA vehicle that essentially everybody uses to uh, manage their their networks. Like that, that from its you know from the outset may not seem like it's zero trust or zero trust adjacent, but I tell you, you can't do zero trust without it. We talk about IPv6. No, you don't necessarily need IPv6 to be uh, a zero trust compliant yet, but I will tell you the groundwork that you have to do, right? When you are forced to change every single networking device, you're going to get network devices that are going to be compliant with that and can do software-defined networking, which is a, just a huge, huge piece of the networking pillar when it comes to zero trust. So just that that change alone got us so much closer. And, and I, in a lot of ways, I don't think we necessarily appreciated the groundwork that the organization was doing towards zero trust without calling it zero trust. We just thought that, you know, we were so tired of, of having to um, deal with uh, network uh, switch changes that would, would break and fail and, and having to physically go down and unplug and plug in devices that were like, okay, from a, from a change management perspective, we need to go to software to find, not realizing that it being a core piece of being able to accomplish a lot of the more advanced uh, requirements when it comes to the network pillar inside of DHS and or zero trust. And the same thing exists on almost every single other pillar, right? So when you talk about uh, the application, uh, when you talk about authentication, right? So us going to the cloud, we had to figure out authentication for all of these cloud services. We had to go out and buy new cloud services and new authentication and identity proofing services that we never did before. And we so we started saying like, okay, if we're gonna go out and do this work, if we are gonna cause all this disruption to our customers, let's get something that's going to last and be able to meet the future requirements. And so that mindset has been with us since the beginning. And that was before Dave Larimore got involved, Dave Larimore came around. My big push has been getting everyone to recognize the work that we have already done and trying to figure out what are our opportunities to get wins at the component level, to get wins at the department level, right? Because we're a federated organization. There are things like you know, uh, application level transport that that may not make the most sense to have an enterprise solution for. But I tell you what, having an enterprise solution around identity management, uh, whether it's for internal authentication or external authentication, like that makes a lot of sense. And we're starting to and we're starting to see the trends. We're starting to make those decisions. So uh, Eric Heisen, uh, the CIO, has been uh, working diligently uh, with GSA, uh, has been working diligently with the CIO council on taking uh, advantage of login.gov, which is which is another TMF uh, award recipient there, on figuring out not from a zero trust perspective. Again, like we're, we're naturally starting to, to find ourselves achieving these goals without specifically saying zero trust. From a customer experience perspective, we are looking at login.gov, right? So how great would it be if uh, DHS, which tends to be the in entry point for most all naturalized citizens, like, wouldn't it be great if their authentication method mechanism for USCIS or CBP or, or potentially if you're at, at ICE um, uh, and, and going through that process, you are now able to authenticate with the IRS who just 
I, I believe they just okayed login.gov as an authentication provider there. So that's actually providing a great benefit to the general public. But guess what? It is also allowing us to meet goals when it comes to uh, fish resistant uh, authentication. So, you know, it, it really has been exciting. Um, the hardest part has been figuring out what to do next, um, getting the CIOs uh, across all of the components to um, really look deep and say, here, here, here are our problem areas, right? Here, you know, we've had great successes from network perspective. We've had great perspectives, uh, great um, advancements from a, you know, from a uh, the, uh, identity pillar perspective, but where are we at from a data perspective, right? So, you know, being able to bring the, the chief data officer's counsel into this, right? So there's, there's a lot of work that we need to do, but from a strategy perspective, it is really about how can we make zero trust like embedded in all the other things that are happening there? How can we, you know, when we have an initiative at the Southwest border, like how can we not invest a little bit of time and energy in seeing how we can solve some bigger picture uh, zero trust issues at the department? Great. Thank you, David, for that. Well, what new technologies are being implemented to improve the enterprise architecture at DHS? Well, I, I don't think I can uh, speak in public without talking about uh, AIML, uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning. So um, this has been a real uh, incredible journey and a real um, uh, very proud move for me from a career perspective and, and exciting to be at the forefront here. But ultimately, we have been investing an incredible amount of time in understanding the safe and effective use of AI. Um, we have been trying to understand the patterns and how AI is used, how it's being integrated into products, um, the, the data in, in which uh, has been used around uh, AI, et cetera, because you know, a lot of AI systems you have to be trained. It's really more on the machine learning side and the data has to be trained. So what we're doing from an enterprise architecture perspective is figuring out how do we account for that? How do we evaluate our IT systems? How do we certify them as being compliant with the, um, the AI executive order, right? How do we make sure that they are uh, safe and effective and uh, reliable and, and um, you know, free from bias, right? So, so a lot of our work has been trying to figure out um, the best way to accomplish that. We've been partnering with our peers and from everything from CPOs to Chico's to CFO to, to privacy to, to CRCL. DHS has a incredible set of management around uh, acquisition, program acquisition. So the, the, the program acquisition uh, office, PARM, uh, we've been partnering with them around AIML. So, you know, that's, I, I think we're going to see that constant theme about how AI ML is everywhere and, and how do we account for that? How do we take advantage of that? Wonderful. Well, it's exciting to hear that all the ways that DHS is exploring AI and ML, there, there are so many possibilities there. Well, David, can you talk about some of the IT strategic goals DHS is trying to accomplish for 2023? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was interesting is I, I one of the first ones I'm going to mention here, which which is not always um, credited to be IT, but is foundational, um, and that is the, the the workforce and the people power when it comes to IT. And so we have had a huge focus recently on DEI, 
Uh, we have been, you know, trying to recruit through new mechanisms, new channels. Uh, we're trying to recognize strong performers and employee stories through, you know, spotlights. We're, we have our CTMS, Cyber Talent uh, Management System, uh, that we are leveraging as, a, as another mechanism to hire and retain staff through different authorities, outreach to underrepresented communities to build a, a diverse and equitable, you know, uh, inclusive workplace. From a um, uh, cybersecurity perspective, we are continuing to um, invest into the uh, Hack DHS program. We're looking at the effect of uh, supply chain risk management and attestation on software, uh, bill materials from companies. So we're going to see a lot of time and energy spent working on how do we quickly vet software and technologies and services into our enterprise architecture into our uh, IT systems. Uh, we are going to see customer experience and data sharing continue, uh, continue to be a, a focus, whether we're talking about the actual practice of CX, and, and that is, you know, um, we're, we're no longer talking about CSAT scores. Uh, we're talking about being able to actually uh, observe our customers. We're talking about Putting together customer journeys. We're talking about, um, you know, UI, UX design. We're talking about human-centered design, right? So we're gonna, you're gonna be able to see from DHS, we are actually trying to uh, use CX as a mechanism to improve the services that we provide to the general public. So yeah, those are the the three big ones for DHS. Wow, that's amazing. A lot of great things on the horizon at DHS. And and I like the way you emphasize or highlighted the, the role that people, the workforce, how important that is to DHS achieving their IT strategic goals. So that's that's great to hear. Well, David, before we conclude our discussion, do you have any final comments, remarks you would like to leave with our listeners? I am thankful for your time. Uh, I am uh, always available if someone wants to reach out and ask questions, uh, especially uh, around the CTO Council. If you're part of the federal CTO Council and, uh, you know, uh, or if you're not part of the federal CTO Council, please feel free to reach out if you added to the distribution list. And um, just to everybody out there, be yourself, be free. One of the, the, the best things I ever did to, to my career and my overjournal happiness was uh, embrace the fact that that uh, I'm a weird dude that likes wearing costumes uh, at, at all hands meetings with with hundreds of federal employees there, right? Um, just be yourself. And if you can be yourself, you're going to be of great help to your department, your agency, your mission. Awesome, David. You're right. Being yourself, it, it will uh, carry you a long way. So that was perfect. Well, I really did enjoy our, our conversation today. And I want to thank you again for taking out time to speak with me. Thank you, Nikki. That was a really fascinating conversation. Before we let our listeners go, do you have any last thoughts or takeaways you want to leave them with? Well, like I said, yes, David and I had a great conversation. I guess just a couple overall takeaways is that David said building out that CT role at DHS is just it's crucial and it's critical. So he's going to keep his efforts going on that. 
And he said, DHS is just going to spend a lot more time and energy working on how to quickly vet technology and services into their overall enterprise architecture. So those are my key takeaways from our conversation. Great. Well, thank you, Nikki. Listeners can tune in in two weeks for a brand new GovCast. But until then, that's all for today's episode. If you like what you heard, make sure you're subscribed and leave a review on the podcast platform of your choice. I'm Alexander Bolova. And I'm Nikki Henderson. Thank you for listening. GovCast, along with HealthCast and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at govcio.com.